In chapter 3 of Matthew's Gospel, we'll be reading, starting at verse 13, and then we'll read on through verse 1 of chapter 4. The word of our Lord from the Gospel says that Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So then he allowed him. When he had been baptized... Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let's pray. Father in heaven, at the baptism of Jesus in the river Jordan, you proclaimed him to be your beloved son. You anointed him with your Holy Spirit. Grant that all who are baptized into his name may keep the covenant that they have made. And may boldly confess Him as Lord and Savior, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. You, like me, might ask the question, why in the world was Jesus baptized? The scriptures tell us that John's baptism, we call him John the Baptist, you could equally call him John the Baptizer, because we call him the Baptist, not because of his denominational preference, but because he was one who baptized. His baptism, the scriptures tell us, was one of repentance for the remission of sins. His proclamation to those he baptized, was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is almost here. So why would Jesus answer that call to repentance? Did he have to? Was it necessary? Was it just kind of a a show of solidarity with those who were being baptized? It's a curious question. Why in the world was Jesus baptized? We know from Jewish tradition that those entering into public ministry, typically around the age of 30, would have been ceremoniously washed or baptized as they were going out to the public to minister. 
Perhaps Jesus is just keeping with tradition. John tells him, what are you talking about? I'm in need of you baptizing me. And you're asking me here to wash you? I'm the one that needs to be washed. Jesus' response Don't, don't not do. Baptize me. It is appropriate for us to fulfill all righteousness. Notice John then allows Jesus. I love how Matthew words this. John permits his Lord to have something done. It's like, wait a minute, who's Lord in this situation? Jesus puts himself at John's mercy. You can hear him asking please in his voice. There's something more at play than Jesus just kind of keeping with tradition. Jesus yes, was called rabbi. Yes, he's entering into public ministry. Yes, he will soon call his disciples to himself. And yes, he will soon commission them out in his name to teach what he has taught them. But there's something more at play. And we see it through the the movement of the text from here at the end of chapter 3 on through really verse or chapter 11. You have a movement that Matthew is setting up for us in which you find Jesus setting out a fresh start for humanity. Jesus brings to us a new humanity. Paul called him a second Adam. Of course, his name wasn't Adam. His name was Jesus. Or Yeshua. But Adam, you remember all the way back in the book of Genesis, Adam was the forerunner of humanity. He was the the head of the human race. Paul tells us that all sinned in Adam, and therefore all died in Adam. For he was our starting point. But Paul says that Christ has come and He has become for us by faith a new Adam, a second Adam, or the last Adam. He's a new start. We have a a new starting point in Christ. He's ushering in through His ministry and indeed through His very life. He is ushering in a new Humanity, a redeemed humanity, a humanity that submits itself to the Father. In chapters 3 and 4 especially, we see kind of a reversal of the plague of sin and the fall of Adam. Jesus steps down into the waters of His baptism in the river Jordan. Reminding us of the rivers of the Garden of Eden. 
Jesus is tempted in the first few verses of chapter 4. In fact, the text tells us that the Spirit led him out into the wilderness. Not in a garden, but outside of a garden. Out in the rough terrain. Out where it's hard to live. And Jesus is tempted in the same manners that Eve was tempted. You have that threefold temptation that takes place in the wilderness as Satan comes to tempt Jesus. Reminding us of that threefold temptation that Eve endured and succumbed to in the garden. Something that looked nice. Something that felt good. Something that can make you stand tall and proud. Reversing God's pronouncement of judgment on Adam, Eve, and the serpent. You have Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. He begins his Galilean ministry in verses 12 through 17 of chapter 4. And it ends with him preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. It is among you. It has come. You'll remember in the garden story from Genesis that Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. They're sent out. The way back in is barred, protecting them from the tree of life. They're removed. Jesus then begins calling disciples near to Him. So you have this undoing that's taking place in the life of Jesus. He calls disciples to Himself. Come, be near me. Come, learn from me. Come, and see truth. And love. We then get to chapters 5, 6, and 7 where we have the great Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus begins His teaching ministry. That's followed then by a ministry of further teaching. A ministry of healing. A ministry of calling as you continue to have disciples like Matthew, the tax collector, called to follow Him. Woven into those chapters of healing and teaching and calling, you have Jesus going to meet a need. And as He's going to meet a need, you have this little parenthetical story of a woman, an unclean woman, who comes and grabs on the hem of His garment and is miraculously healed. It's like miracles are just oozing out of Jesus. Because something new is happening. Something new is beginning. Jesus, during these chapters, He establishes the twelve and He sends them out, having empowered them. 
He warns them, the days aren't always going to be fun. Not everyone is going to like you. Not everyone is going to be happy about what you're doing. He warns them that persecution is coming. But everything up to this point is pretty happy for Jesus. John, his relative, his forerunner, the one who had baptized him, we read, has been arrested by Herod. And John then sends some of his disciples to Jesus, asking, are you really the hope of the world? I think it was so. But now I sit in a jail cell. Are you the Messiah? Jesus tells them, you go back and you tell John what your eyes are seeing, what your ears are hearing. Those who couldn't walk are getting up and walking. Those who couldn't see are opening their eyes and are seeing life for the very first time. Humanity has a fresh start. Humanity is finding a new beginning because the kingdom of heaven has now come and has invaded the world and its kingdoms. The kingdom is being established and you have things happening that are inexplicable. The kingdom has come and those who are hurting are finding healing. Those whose lives have been torn apart and have been wrecked are finding lives put back together. Because Jesus is bringing a fresh start. A fresh start for humanity. The starting point of our theology if we take seriously the incarnation of Christ, if we take seriously the fact that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, if we really take Christmas seriously, then we must confess that the starting point of our faith is not the fall of man, but is instead the incarnation of the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have a new head of our race. And if we will but trust in Him, if we will put our faith into Him, He can redeem our lives and remake us. Baptism is a a sign and a a mark of, of newness. And we think of cleansing in baptism. We think of renewal in baptism. As the waters are washing over, we're reminded that anyone who is in Christ, as Paul said, boom, New creation. Something new is here. Jesus is ushering in a fresh start for humanity. And He's ushering in also a bold declaration of redemption. He is essentially saying, it's really here. Redemption has come. God has made sure to fulfill His promises to His people. In the person and work of Christ, 
This one who Paul called the second Adam. You find redemption taking place. A fulfillment of all God's promises to Eve. The undoing of the works of rebellion. And the healing of the wounds of sin. Christ has come. And with Him, He proclaims that redemption is here. This is a bold declaration because it's within the real world. It's a strong declaration of judgment against the kingdoms of the world. What do you mean the king has arrived? Caesar's Lord, right? No, Christ is Lord. The king has been born. The king declares to us that he has come to redeem the world. The real world. The world as it really is. To it he offers hope and peace, redemption. And with this life and ministry that is being ushered in, we find also the ushering in of an open invitation to all. If you follow the movement of Matthew's Gospel, beginning here in chapter 3, and then pressing on, you, you have the healing, you have the teaching, you have those disciples being called, you don't yet have a lot of contention. Those 12 disciples are established in chapter 10. And then suddenly you start realizing that there's a bit of tension that's going to start welling up. And at the end of chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus throws open the doors of redemption. As heaven and earth have met, As he steps out of the waters of baptism, he has baptized a new humanity. And he says this newness, this fresh start, this declaration that redemption has drawn near has become an open invitation to all who would come. His word choices, much like that that you find in John's account of the gospel, God so loved the world that whosoever believes, that He gave His only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes in Him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. That whosoever is an open statement. Those who so find themselves wanting, here Jesus says, Come, all of you who labor, all of you who are heavy laden, come, and learn from me. You'll find rest and peace. 
Rest reminds us of refreshment. It's nice to get a good old Sunday afternoon nap, an old Methodist nap, Sunday afternoon to lay down your head, to lie down with a sweating lansom who sleeps like a rock when he finds nap time. You find refreshment. You find renewal. You know, your energies that have been drained are being renewed. You find restoration. A tired body and a tired mind, a tired heart can be restored. Jesus throws open the doors of redemption with this open invitation to all. Come, come, find rest. Come, find your refreshment. Come, find your renewal. Find your restoration. Come and find reconciliation. Find lives being put back together. Relationships being mended. Come and find it. All of you. Whoever hurts. Whoever has found themselves weighted down and tired. There are waters that are teeming with life that can well up within you. Those waters of baptism and newness can become waters of refreshment and constancy. We like fresh starts. You know, we think of the New Year's a fresh start, a chance to do things that we ought to have done last year, a chance to kind of re-kick that diet, kick-start it, chance to double down on those resolutions from last year that you know went undone. We like new opportunities. We like. Meeting new friends, some of us, some of us not so much. We like those friends when they become good friends, but perhaps we're terrified of the the newness. But generally speaking, we like fresh starts. We find it in Jesus. We find it for ourselves and our families, but we find it also for the world. He came to redeem the world. Mm -hmm. He came to bring light to all the nations. To bring whosoever will under His Lordship to live in His kingdom. A kingdom that begins not after we die, but a kingdom that begins here and now as we live as His people, as we enter into covenant together, and as we share His love, which Paul said is the bond of perfection, as we live with His presence in our lives, as we declare Him as Lord to one another as in the way that we live and in the way that we love. He offers us newness. On us is the burden of seeing 
that opportunity of longing for it, of throwing ourselves into it, of saying, Lord, I will follow because you've pioneered a new way. You've given a fresh start and I'll gladly take it. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Let's pray.